Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, November 22nd of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. And this Sunday is November 27th, the first Sunday of Advent. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern. And today, for our friend Charles Willard in Minnesota, that's 5.30 a.m. This week, our little team is turning the page on the church calendar to begin our journey through lectionary year A, and that puts us in the Gospel of Matthew on Sunday. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection, and here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the leadoff person shares some formative questions, and then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson. Bill Holder, St. Peter. Bill Hall in St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm, I'm still. still I'm not. Apparently, my sound doesn't know what I'm doing. Your Zoom, Charles. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm Don Upton. I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, before we read the scripture for today, and because we're moving from year C to year A, I just thought we'd take a moment for those that are new to using the lectionary on a routine basis, and those that have been with us for years, just ask my colleagues to offer a few reflections on why, why you choose to connect to lectionary on such a consistent basis. Sarah, can I start with you, please? Well, it's a safety line for me. Um, it gives me a point of focus for my whole week, and uh, it gives me the opportunity to uh, kind of nestle in to a new perspective or um, a continuing perspective. Thank you. Bill Hope? And this week, as I was looking ahead, it was helpful to remember that the lectionary doesn't follow always chronologically within a gospel. For example, in Advent, this week we're in chapter 24 of Matthew. Next week we'll be in chapter 3, the following week in chapter 11, and the fourth week in chapter 1, because it's following themes and, and the season. So, uh, for someone new, it may look a little confusing, but uh, remember, it's basically guided by the season, the year that in in, in the lectionary calendar. Thank you, and Charles Willett, if you turn off, if you mute your Zoom, and why why are you connected lectionary? Wait a minute. Well, while you mute that, I'm I'm going to respond and uh, just say that uh, I I discovered lectionary later in life, and uh, it was uh, very important to me because it allowed me to have continuous revisiting meditations with friends and with new people. And to this day, as I travel, uh, I, I like visiting churches. I like hearing sermons. I like going on ecumenical journeys, and uh, it's it's always a pleasure to hear other people, other thinkers, other leaders, and other groups studying the same thing that I am, coming up with different perspectives. And if you're new to this, we invite you to be a part of that journey, too. Charles, how about you? Why lectionary? I think we've lost Charles for a minute, but we'll get back am to that. I, am I still lost? Yes, you are. Your thoughts on lectionary, please. 
Okay, so I've 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 been a, a fan of the lectionary ever since I've turned to the lectionary readings and started to uh, work with them and see the, the the. Although I have gotten some further indication that some of the uh, intentions and uh, overtones of the authors and compilers, not the authors, the compilers of the, of the lectionary, uh, were not so straightforward as they as people assume. So there's 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 a there's a reason for some of these things that you'd have to go and take a look at the analysis and the history of the lectionary to understand why that got there and why it is where it is. Not this is not a puzzle. There are very few things that are puzzled, except that they don't always tell you that. Thank you. And uh, speaking of lectionary, let's go ahead and begin year A with a gospel reading for Sunday, which is Matthew 24, 36 through 44. And I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As for the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days... Before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, and one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together. One will be taken, one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. But the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. And that's the word of the Lord. Well, we've got uh, three questions to work with today. And uh, heads up, Sarah Mickelson, the question number one is coming to you. Uh, in the context of the scriptural references and examples in this passage, which includes Noah, what are the characteristics of awake and ready? The word of wake and ready. And I'll just to get, get this kicked off in verse 42. It says, keep awake, therefore. And in verse uh, 43, stayed awake. So it's a big thing throughout this. And so, Sarah, for you to get us started uh, what are the characteristics of awake and ready? In relationship, that's a characteristic. Active, participatory, watchful, prepared, engaged, flexible, resilient, resourceful, attentive, observant, practiced, ready with a servant heart, planful. Responsive. I think the other things you want to hear, you want to see. So there's the desire to bear witness to the coming. That's what I got. Thank you. Bill Hall? I went through the names of all the dwarves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don, yet again, as I tried to put uh, the use of Matthew this year during Advent in context, it was helpful to me to put this latter, this passage from the latter part of chapter 24 of Matthew in its larger context. If this, if chapter 24 were a musical 
score, it would be an increasing crescendo. Uh, it begins, the chapter begins with Jesus predicting the destruction of the temple, talks about the signs of the end of the age, persecutions are predicted, this strange concept of the desolating sacrilege. Then he says that the Son of Man will come, and he offers the lesson of a fig tree. Then we come to this week's passage, in which uh, two characters, I think, are offered that speak to your question about awake and ready. One is Noah, the other is the thief. During Noah, the people were preoccupied with their own pleasure and not aware of God. Uh, The focus was on their immediate present um, pleasure. This week, the passage from Romans 13 says in part, it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably and put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify his desires, which speaks to the trap that the people in the time of Noah fell into. The thief uh, is about that timing when something is going to happen is unpredictable. But that parable says one can prepare. The homeowner could have been prepared to protect protect the family and the home from harm harm and uh, theft. So the focus is on looking to the future. So present, future. And in the, each of those stories, the focus is not on doing the work of God in the here and now. And I think this concept of awake and ready, Don, has to do with the tension there is between living with assurance about the future fulfillment of God's kingdom on earth and engaging in the real world on earth in the here and now. There's, there's a great dissonance between how God envisions the world and how the world in reality is at the present. Another passage from the lectionary for this week is from Isaiah 2. Isaiah is writing to people living in desolation and is promising them that God will lead the nations to, quote, beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That is just as dissonant today as it was in the time of Isaiah. Uh, This in our current world, not only in Ukraine, sadly and tragically, but in many other places, people are not beating their swords into uh, plowshares or their spears into pruning hooks a la the recent tragic shooting in Colorado. Um, And this is making clear that the return of Jesus, the fulfillment of time, is certain but unpredictable. And Stanley Saunders, in his article on this passage, says that this is a call to, quote, heightened attentiveness, attuned both to the signs of God's presence and power 
as well as the signs that the power of this world are doubling down. So we are to be awake. We are to be ready, uh, understanding, and I'll say more about this in response to your other questions. Uh, Jesus is not calling for us to have a perfect understanding of all that is happening around us. But Jesus is commanding us to be awake, alert, seeking to perceive and believe that events speak volumes and there is a message for us if we will look and listen. Thank you. I'm wondering for our listeners, you know, in your hearts, how has this been delivered to you in the past? Um, I can tell you it's been delivered to me in a wide range of ways, and it's the first time you've heard it. You may be cocking your head about this. I just want to, from from my heart, say this is good counsel, not a threat. This is mm-hmm. guidance, not a cliff. This is uh, not a conflict, but a comfort. And uh, and if that strikes you as strange and you, this has been delivered to you in a different way, I would advise you to ride with that, with those ideas in it. And there is, it may give you a different perspective. It does for me. The analogy I'll use is in business. Part of what, 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 what I have to do and what I have to lead in terms of my work is to be in a state of readiness. All businesses aren't always like that, but I do have, we have to do that. We have to, we call it our catcher's mitt. We have to be ready. Uh, what does it take to be ready? It means to be intentional every day. It means to be current. It means to keep up. It means to be skilled. It means to be aware. It means to, to know your history. It means to anticipate. Do we know there'll be a crisis tomorrow? No. Do we know exactly what it'll be? No. Will one come? Yes. Are we ready? And I'll tell you, to, to get to the bright side of this, and I, for those that have not read this in a bright way, um, Imagine what it's like when you are ready. I mean, you could use an analogy of business or sports or crisis or rescue or first responder, whatever it might be. Isn't it a happy time when you're prepared and ready? Uh, and that's all we're asked to do every day and every each day, that intentionality. So ready in our assignments, ready in our awareness, ready in our consciousness, ready in our intentionality, awake in our position in the day, just in the day. Uh, our, our, our roles as a friend, our roles as a parent, our roles as aunts and uncles, our roles in business, our roles in colleagues. I think this is a, a demonstration of, of confidence and of comfort and of guidance. Uh, Charles, how about you? What are your thoughts on uh, awake and ready? Are you muted? We'll come back to Charles, and I'm going to move on to the next question. And uh, and Bill Hall is going to come to you first. And it's um, why the insistence on the unexpected hour. I write that in bold letters, unexpected. And how are we to deal with the promise of the unexpected and knowing nothing? So I'll kind of go back to my response. We're, 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 we're being shared all these. I think there's great comfort and confidence in this. But it's built on this unexpected. What a conflict, Bill. What are your thoughts? Right. It is a conflict. And you asked us at the start to briefly reflect on the lectionary. I will briefly offer this observation about our responses. 
uh, it should be clear to our viewers and listeners that we each have a different perspective. And that's part of the value of this sharing and of Bible study. We don't all have to hear the same thing. So I, I will share with you what came to my mind, Don, with, with your question. I think it's transparent. These words remind us that ultimately we are not in control of the future. We cannot predict the future because in the language of 1 Corinthians 13, we see in a mirror dimly, or it can be translated a glass darkly. I don't know, somehow, on the older I get, I embrace that mirror dimly. <laughs> I don't have, I, I said in my response to the first, Jesus does not expect us to have perfect understanding of all that's going on. But to be awake means you're paying attention, you're seeking uh, to understand. And, Don, Jesus reminds us in the first verse of this passage that neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. That, to me, is a powerful reminder of Jesus' full humanity. As human beings, I cannot know the future. And his humanity, Jesus did not know when this fulfillment or return would occur. And I find that reassuring. I don't have to know. (laughs) I need to know that I need to pay attention, be awake and alert, in spite of some in this era in our country who would condemn people who are woke. Um, It does, I think, address the concerns in the early church regarding the delay in Christ's returns. Recently, in uh, Sunday morning adult faith formation at Palmasia, we looked at 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Um, I happen to be the leader of that class, and part of the focus in those books is people's concern about the return, and Paul is uh, addressing that. Um, my favorite commentator on Matthew is Frederick Dale Bruner. And one reason I'm glad to be back in year A, I get to go back to my friend Dale Bruner and listen to him. He says, quote, if even the son did not know exactly when the end was coming, how is it that so many prophecy teachers have claimed to know? Okay. If Jesus didn't know, how dare some human being in the here and now claim to know? And I love this phrase. Dale Bruner goes on to say, therefore, as disciples, we are to follow with a certain eschatological agnosticism. (laughs) That means we don't know about the end of time, not knowing just when the end will occur. And then he quotes Earl Palmer, who says, and you may or may not resonate with this imagery. Christians are in sales, not management. <laughs> we're we're not the manager. Um, and I, I think is my final comment. It what we need to know we are have already been told. We are to work in the here and now to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And for me, Don. Again, I like your message. It was not about, or your phrase is not about conflict, but about confidence and comfort. I take confidence and comfort that God has more to do uh, than we even can imagine. But I don't need to be 
anxious about that or the timing, and I feel empowered to continue to do the work of God in the here and now. We can know with certainty that our Redeemer lives, but we cannot know when and how our Redeemer will fully bring the kingdom of heaven on earth. Thank you. Sarah, unexpected. We don't know. So that seems so far out there to me, and I'm so much more of a practical girl. So my first thought was, I'm thinking about Thursday. Thursday is Thanksgiving. I'm thinking about, I may not know how many people are actually going to arrive to dine at my house, so I'm thinking about, did I buy all the ingredients to make everything that I want to serve to be a good hostess on Thursday? So I've been planful about the menu. I've been deliberate about going to the grocery store and accumulating all the parts. I'm cleaning the house. I'm cleaning the bathrooms. I'm doing the things that I know are part of the preparation for hosting and being hospitable to people who are coming to my house. Um, That's me being prepared for an unexpected number. That's me thinking forward or thinking future thinking um, about what what would make someone feel most comfortable when they come. And and so I'm using that as my... Um, scree or my leveler this week Um, and thinking about that I'm also thinking about um, you know when in my notes say if only the father knows the date and time it's not my business to worry about it period period Um, many things catch us by surprise it's how we respond in those moments that really are the litmus test or the paper that we use to determine our our readiness. Like Mary and Joseph. Like Hannah and Simeon. Like the shepherds and the wise men. We can be responsive to God in each moment if we're ready. Right? We're not going to say, oh, wait, 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 Lord, let me scroll through Facebook one more time. Uh, wait, wait just a minute. Uh, my favorite TV show is on. Um, oh, oh, I can't come right now. Whatever that answer is, fill in the blank. I'm doing something with my hands or I'm doing something with my head. And I think about being responsive to whatever the action is that God would like me to take. And that's really where my difficulties are because I am so distracted, like Mary and Martha. I am so distracted, like Martha, with the the production of hospitality that I might miss the opportunity that Mary got. I rest my case. Thank you. I'm thinking about how people behave, how I would behave if I have specific outcomes in mind or I know the outcome that is best and when it should take place. And the results of that always seem to be filled with judgment and abruptness and uh, dictatorial behavior and violence, uh, a lack of flexibility, 
and really a lack of sensitivity to fellowship or response to each other in terms of our responsibility to each other. It seems to be what happens. But at the same time, we're asked to fulfill something. And, uh, as, and, and, and so the fulfillment we seem to be pointed to in Matthew as a whole, because we're just ripping this piece out, this is not Matthew, this is a piece of the Matthew story, is, you know, our fulfillment is the nourishment of our fellow human beings. Safety, nourishment, shelter, love, protection, hopes, you know, that there is a fulfillment in all those things. We're not, we're not, all that's not wiped out. I think it's reinforced with this kind of language because the alternative is if we really could make the judgment and we really understood what's taking place, which I think is so callous, sure takes the life out of everyday living. It cheapens it. It cheapens the things that we're asked to do. If, if we have this knowledge, or if we say, if, we say, if I think I'm right, <laughs> I'm so right, then what does that mean to the, the daily relationships and the nourishment we're supposed to provide each other? It just cheapens it. It, it, it almost says you humans have nothing really of importance to do when this is the flip side of that. That's the comfort of this passage, I think. There's a great business to do with each other and for each other. Before I get to the next question, we're trying to relink to Charles Willard in Minnesota. Charles, are you there? Would you like to respond to the unexpected? Ah, now you can hear me, I think. Yes, I can. What do you think about this, the unexpected? I think it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to believe. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to set ourselves to work to embrace something like this because it's it's because it's unexpected. And I think none of us none of us likes the unexpected. Witness today. I mean, I don't like the unexpected. That I you know I'm just, I something's going wrong with my video here. But that's and and I, I I'm not I'll I'll sort of ramble about that for a while after the conversation is done because it's just it's like that i don't accept that it's just the way the things are it's if, it, if it's not happening right then something's wrong and it needs to be fixed and if i can't do that then i'm incompetent and i don't like that thought so i i'll leave you there you're still a laughing man so that's that's i'll leave my representative there he'll speak for me Thanks, Gerald. And for our final question, and with a highlight of the turn of the page in the church calendar, the questions, the three that we do most weeks, is held out to anybody that's moderating a small group or facilitating a class or preparing for uh, reading this, that these are questions that you could use or, or consider as you're exploring the scripture. And the third one is, who is the owner? And who is the thief? Have you read verse 43 differently over time or heard alternative readings of interest when it comes to verse 43? And I'll read that again. Uh, Verse 43, but understand this, that the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming. He would have stayed awake and would not let his house be broken into. Sarah, your thoughts? 
I'm thinking of Matthew 25 that follows right on this. Lord, when did we see you that you, that you were sick? When did we see you in prison? When did we visit you? Um, you know, both those that are held up as sheep and those that are held up as goats ask the same questions. Um, so I, I'm, when I first read this, this verse always confused me because in my mind, you want to protect that which you love from being stolen by a thief. So my heart was always with the owner instead of the thief, but now I'm reconsidering that perspective because the actions of the thief are prepared, diligent, watchful. To to effectively steal something, you have to have paid attention and know when your window of opportunity is going to occur. So I'm not sure yet how I feel about the thief and the owner. Um, I'm not sure um, that we are which one we're to, to, to be like because the owner is asleep. And this verse opens with, stay awake. So um, I'm not sure about this phrase. And I'm going to go out on a limb and go, if everything is the Lord's, what is owned by the owner? Thanks. Bill Hall, what do you think about this last piece? Your second question was, have, we, have I read this differently? And I did this time. For the first time, it, it's a very brief, I want to call it a parable, a story, a narrative. There's, I, I sense for the first time there's an irony, a paradox, and even some humor in this short parable. In fact, the owner cannot know when. <laughs> By definition, he wouldn't know. So uh, to me, that's humorous. You know, it's like, well, of course he couldn't know. So therefore, uh, back to the not knowing, Don, since you can't know, you need to prepare. In our world, make sure you lock the door if you have security cameras, whatever that might mean. Um, preparation and vigilance are necessary. But I, I, I chuckled when I read this for the first time, Don. I thought, there's Jesus again with uh, that subtle humor that 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 he has at times, and it reminds me. Uh, I'm reflecting you somewhat, uh, Sarah. You referred to Matthew 25. That was on my list. Uh, it reminds me of Mary's song in Luke 2 that God will bring down the mighty. Jesus's mission statement in Luke chapter 4, where you know to uh, serve the poor, to set the prisoner free. Um, that that's what, and, and Matthew 25, as Sarah helpfully uh, mentioned, th- th- that's, a, that's a whole other message, Sarah, that we, we don't know we're doing the work of God at times. And I think, thanks be to God. If, if I think, oh, I am being a good follower of Christ in taking food to the hungry, I, that's not what it's about. It's in those sometimes very small acts of kindness that we are unexpectedly serving Christ. Because you remember, to me, Sarah, the most powerful part of Matthew 25 is when you did it to the least of these, you were doing it 
unto me, not the least in God's sight, the least in the world's sight. And so, Don, for me, the season of Advent is about preparing to hear and embrace the first coming of Christ. This passage is focused on what we call the second coming of Christ. And I think this passage is chosen this year for the first Sunday of Advent as a way of reminding us to anticipate and trust in the second coming of Christ by consistently engaging in caring for the greater good of others. Both appearances of Jesus Christ led to changes, but not of our making. Rather, by the grace of God, human expectations were and will be upended and transformed. The second coming of Christ will fulfill what he started with his first coming. Thanks be to God. Thank you. I, I'll say uh, what's changed for me is what you're what you're encouraging. I'm, I'm laughing. Uh, you know, it's, it is the playfulness, the humor of this is working for me. So I'm actually changing my response to, well, Bill Hall just made me laugh. And I, I'm with him because I think this is the God of laughter too. And it helped me with this array of metaphors and comparisons and storytelling. I mean, it's just, it's too much. Noah, two women, a thief. And now I say yes to it. Thank you, Bill. I say yes because it's it's playful in a in a very important way that that I understand I understand a bit of each of these and it takes all of this it takes all of this history and it even takes the everyday thief breaking in for me to understand in its most playful way and in that way I would say if you're pointing me there, Bill. Jesus can be the thief in this one. If you put all the pieces together, Jesus could be the thief, and that was a challenge I offered everybody who is Jesus in this. And I'm wondering if there's also a subtext in this, as I laugh, that it's suggesting you're using security cameras and security systems. Is there a nod here that you can keep the Christ out? That part of being awake, readiness is, are you working? Is there, is, if Christ is the thief, I dare you, I dare you, uh, is this an effort to keep Christ out? Can it be done? And there's two answers. One is if you can stay awake all the time and focus on the things of this earth, then maybe you can, but you're going to fall asleep. And I, I would say the second message is that the, the Christ is always going to break in. The end breaking is here. So you do your best to stay awake. Do your best to put on your, your uh, security systems, but the thief's getting in. And that would help with the Noah story and help with the everyday nature of this. I like it because it's got the whole arc of life in it. Thank you, Bill. And then uh, final to wrap things up, uh, if we've got Charles Willard still, what are your thoughts about uh, uh, the thieves uh, breaking in? I thought, let me take a look at it more closely here again. I have no good judgment. Well, I think you have excellent judgment, but uh, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, and let me just, we're, we're about out of time, but I want to just look, look around the room here and see if any of my colleagues had any follow-ups before we say goodbye. I have one. In the 
the Victor Hugo book from 1862 called Les Miserables. There's a bishop, Bishop Muriel or Monsignor Benevue, um, Benevue, who houses, shelters Jean Valjean for a short period of time. And Jean Valjean has just escaped prison or been released from prison and uh, is staying at the Monsignor's home and takes all the silver in the middle of the night and leaves and steals it. The police catch him and bring him back, and the bishop goes, oh, I'm so glad you came back because you forgot to take your candlesticks, too. And he goes in the house and grabs two silver candlesticks and brings them out to Jean Valjean and gives him the candlesticks. And the, the, the police are then kind of given the heads up that maybe this was an intentional taking of silver, not a thiefing of silver. But Jean Valjean knows better. He's stolen it. And this is, the I would say, the pivot point for the life of Jean Valjean when the bishop is prepared for the thief and gives the thief even more than what the thief initially took. And and at that point in time, a friendship is created because the bishop has provided for Jean Valjean in a way no one else has ever done before. So I think there's this moment of opportunity. And I'm, I'm wondering about that in relationship to this story now. Da-dum, da-dum. That's a great play. Thank you. <laughs> Out of Minnesota comes a song. Thank you, Charles. Uh, well, I'll tell you, I just uh, I had my uh, my Bible open here, and I'm going to offer one more thing too from Will Wall, uh, Bill Wallace, who was uh, taught lectionary class at Palmacia for generations. Speaking of wash, rinse, repeat over and over again. And uh, when, when he commented on this, and I say, I'm going to struggle, I wrote it very small print. He said, we live in expectations of his various arrivals, which goes to the playfulness, I think, of this passage. The future arrival, the, the uh, end of history, as a human in our history, and continually entering into our own personal histories. Sorry, I struggle with my, my type, my writing is so small, but I thought that was a sweet notation from our friend Bill. And uh, speaking of Pharmacy or Presbyterian Church, they make this podcast possible, part of their outreach. We thank them for that. And as a part of this year going forward in year A, we welcome your comments. And I'm going to give you our email, lectionarycallin at pharmacia.org. That's L-E-C-T-I-O-N-A-R-Y-C-A-L-L-I-N, lectionarycallin at pharmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We'll be checking on that. And we've we've made a commitment in our little family uh, to do our best to bridge your questions and your insights from week to week. So when we get into next week's discussion, which continues the second Sunday of Advent, we'll do our best to tie in your ideas and your comments into the next one. So please, uh, we'd love to hear from you, uh, even uh, getting your uh, your encouragements and your criticisms, if you like. Palmasia Presbyterian Church is at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmasia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-E-I-A.org. We commend that to you. 
because great sermons, studies of scripture, differences of opinion, outstanding music, opportunities to take communion, reflections, and prayer. So check that out. And you're always welcome. See you next time.